As I prayed about what passage or passages to bring to you this morning during this year's memorial service, I was drawn directly to one specific book of the Bible, and that's the book of Ephesians. And I was drawn to one specific theme that runs through the book of Ephesians, and that's the theme of peace. I was thinking about what would be, what would be helpful, what would serve well as we think about those that we've lost and, and as we face the reality of death, which is not a comfortable reality to face. We spend most of our lives distracted from it. It's uncomfortable. And so we'll talk about peace this morning. The book of Ephesians is mainly about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And one of the implications of that is peace. One of the first verses, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 2, as the Apostle Paul is addressing this letter to its recipients, the church, the Christians in Ephesus, and then us, he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. Many of the letters of the Bible begin this way. Grace to you, peace to you. You get the sense that God, the Holy Spirit, while inspiring Paul to write this, is trying to get grace to you and get peace to you. It might be a relief just to know that. God wants you to have peace. God wants you to be at peace. But I think that one thing that we probably all have in common in this room and with even many who are not in this room is that we all want peace and often peace eludes us. We all want it. We want to be at peace. But we can't often find it. Stress and busyness and anxiety and setbacks and regrets We have all these enemies of peace in our lives, and maybe the first and foremost enemy is death itself. What peace can we have that isn't shattered by the fact of death? What we'll see in Ephesians this morning, just for these few moments while we consider some scripture together, is that the Bible puts forth a dimension of peace that we don't often consider that we don't often think about. When we think about peace, typically, I think I can say, we in this world, when we think about peace, we're thinking about the absence of something. We're thinking about the absence of trouble. We're thinking about the absence of strife, the absence of turmoil, the absence of interruptions, the absence of illness, the absence of injury, the absence of fear, maybe just practically the absence of noise, the absence of danger, the absence of deadlines. That's our typical definition of what peace is. It's a tranquility achieved by all those things being escaped and being pushed away. If I can avoid or escape these things, then I'll be at peace. The Bible doesn't talk about peace in only those terms. Now, that is part of the biblical idea of peace, but it's more than that, and it's more focused than that. The biblical idea of peace, when we see the word peace in this passage, what it literally means is wholeness. 
And in the book of Ephesians, what it means specifically is the wholeness that comes when you are in right relationship with God and his people. The biblical idea of peace has this dimension, a central dimension of it, of wholeness in relationship with God and God's people. One of the most fascinating things about God, if you study theology, the study of God, one of the most fascinating things about him is a doctrine known as the Trinity. Now, some of you may be more familiar with it than others, but it's the idea that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three, yet one. He's one God. He's not three gods. He's one. Yet he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We see this throughout the Scripture. God is in himself a relationship. God is relationship. And so when he created mankind and he created Adam and Eve and when he created you and me, he created us in his image for relationship. He created us for relationship with himself. If you read through the scripture, you'll see often his wish for his people. He says, I will be your God and you will be my people. I will be your God and you'll be my people. That's his vision for what's going to happen in eternity. I'll be yours, you'll be mine. We'll be together in relationship. We were created for closeness with God. We were created to depend on him like children depend on their father. We were created to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We were created to worship him. We were also created for relationship with people. Everything God created in the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, after he created it, he said it was good. At the end of every day of creation, he said it's good. But when he created Adam, and Adam was alone, before he created Eve, he looked at him and said it's not good. It's the first thing he ever declared not good, was Adam alone. He said it's not good for man to be alone. And then he created Eve. You were created for relationship with God and with people. You're created to live in open, transparent, honest, loving, humble relationship with other people. Now, sin came along and it fractured all these relationships, like shattering a glass. Just cracked it, shattered it, broke it, messed it all up. And immediately, mankind's relationship with God was broken. And if you remember your Sunday school lessons from what happened when sin entered the world... That's exactly the first thing you see. Suddenly, Adam and Eve were afraid of God. When God came walking in the cool of the day, whatever that looked like, it says Adam and Eve hid themselves from him. They were afraid. They were ashamed. And eventually they were banished from God's presence because he's holy. And he can't be in the presence of sin. It fractured their relationship with one another. They went from closeness and being naked and unashamed to being fearful of one another and ashamed of each other. And then the very next generation, there was envy and even murder. And all this continues all the way through human history to today. Our main problem is that we're fractured in our relationship with God and one another. We're broken relationally. And until we are made whole, in relationship with God and God's people, we will not be at peace. Not the biblical idea of peace. There is no peace apart from this. 
Later on in Ephesians, Paul captures the real problem in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. He's talking to a group of Christians, and he says, Remember that you were at, you were at that time, before you became Christians, before you were made whole in your relationship with God and his people. Remember at that time, I'm sorry, I'm not reading well. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. This is the human condition that we're all born into. Separated from Christ, our sin creates a canyon between us and a holy God, and we're separated. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, which means God's people. We're strangers and foreigners. And without God in this world. The tragic thing is that many of us just settle for that. Just settle for a life of complete disconnect with God, our Father, our Creator, our Maker, the one whom above all else we were created for, we just settle for a life distant and disconnected from him. And we settle for a life full of broken relationships. And in order to soothe the fact that we're not at peace, we cope and we medicate and we distract. Yet I think we all know that no amount of Facebook No amount of Netflix, no amount of ice cream is sufficient really to make us feel whole. It can soothe us for a little bit. And those aren't evil things. Last night, the last thing I did before I went to bed, I watched Netflix and I ate ice cream. These aren't evil things, but they are not the solution. Enjoy them. They're gifts, but don't expect them to bring you peace. Because as soon as you turn it off, as soon as you hit the bottom of the carton, as soon as you pull yourself away from Facebook and you rub your eyes, your condition remains. There's no real peace to be found there. Only momentary distraction. But as he moves forward into verse 13, he puts forth the solution. Verse 12, you were in this condition, separated, alienated, without God. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's all a Christian is. A Christian is not a morally superior person to non-Christians. In fact, I probably know some non-Christians who maybe morally do a little better than some Christians that I know. Christians are people who are as messed up as anybody else, but by the grace of God have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ and all the forgiveness and cleansing that that entails. The blood of Christ removes the separating sins of all who will trust in him. And it brings people who are 
sinful and thus shattered from their relationships with God and the people in their lives. He brings them back to what they were designed to be. Listen to how it brings peace as we read on, beginning of verse 14. You may not understand everything in these verses, but you'll understand much of it. Just see how he brings peace. For Jesus himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father." There's a lot in there that we're, I'm not going to get into and explain. The, this passage ultimately is about two big groups of people, Jews and Gentiles. The Jews being historically God's people, the Gentiles historically being everybody else. And how in Jesus Christ they're both brought together in one, in the church, in Christianity. But the big idea for us here is that Jesus Christ, and only through Jesus Christ, are... Anyone, Jew or Gentile, far or near, whoever, male, female, young, old, poor, rich, beautiful, ugly, (laughs) whoever, only through Jesus Christ are brought near to God and thus in unity with others who've been brought near to God. That verse 18 could be our new definition of true peace. For through Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. That ultimately is what biblical peace is. Through Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, brought into access to God the Father. Not a spiritual orphan anymore. Not spiritually independent and out on your own and autonomous and failing. But brought into relationship with God the Father. Access to the Father. That's peace. I've told this story before, but I don't think everybody has been here the Sundays that I've told it. But this is what always comes to mind when I think about this. You know, I grew up in a, in a house, maybe not new information to you. My dad had my brother and I, mainly my brother because he was older, dig out a basement underneath our house. Our house was on a hill. Behind the house on that slope of the hill, we, we just dug out of the dirt just a, a crude basement. It was big. I mean, we parked our lawnmowers under there. We store stuff under there. But it was just left unfinished. So it's really just a hole in the hill underneath our house. So my aunt lived behind us. And as kids, we would always walk over there because she always had candy and stuff like that. And we'd sometimes stay over there and it would get dark and we'd have to walk home. So I'd have to walk home from behind my house. And at night, when you're a kid and you're walking past a dark cave, which is basically what our basement amounted to, it's pretty scary. We had bikes under there, so there'd be like, off of the reflectors of the bikes, there'd be little eyes staring back at you. And so you'd walk slowly 
until you got kind of close, and then you would be in a dead sprint just to get past it and get into the house quick. Now, occasionally, my dad and I would be over at my aunt's house, and it would get dark, and we would walk back. Now, the strangest thing happened. It was dark just like the other nights. It's the same creepy cavern, the same eyes staring back at you from the bike reflectors, but no fear whatsoever. Now, what was different was simply the fact that I was with my father. I didn't know what was in there, but that was irrelevant. My father knew what was in there. He was not upset. He was not afraid. And so I was okay. I was at peace. The tragic thing about humanity is that we've accepted that we're going to have to walk through life like little kids in the dark by ourselves. Figure it out on our own. And it's no wonder that most of us are terrified in one way or another. We call it anxiety. We call it depression. It takes many forms, has many symptoms. But the good news of Christianity is, no, there's a way for you to be made right with your Father, to be reconciled with your Father, and to live your life walking beside your Father. And there'll be many things that you won't understand, but that'll be irrelevant. He understands. And you're with him now. You're not out there on your own anymore. Peace is verse 18. For through Jesus, we have access in one spirit to the Father. He gives a couple of images in the following verses to help us understand what this this relational wholeness looks like. Starting verse 19 So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, not like extraterrestrial aliens, but like foreigners. You're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints. So there's one image. You're a fellow citizen with the saints. You're a citizen of the kingdom of God. You've been given citizenship. And the kingdom of God is your home. And God, your father, is your king. Another image, also in verse 19, says, You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So here's the image of a household, a family. You've been adopted into God's family. You have brothers and sisters in Christ. And God himself is your father. Another image to help us understand this this wholeness, as we read on into verse 20, it says, You're built On the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. In other words, this image is saying that Christians are those who have been picked up by God and placed into a a new structure. It's as if we're being built into a, a human temple. God himself dwelling in us together. So in other words, through Jesus Christ, you're made relationally whole with God and with God's people by being granted full citizenship in his kingdom, by being adopted as a child into his household, by by being given a place in the structure that he is building for his glory. Ultimately, as we're here today and as we think about these things together, as we recognize our human frailty, the reality of death, 
The fact that life is, whatever else it may be, temporary in this world. As we look for peace, honestly together, in light of these things, biblically we have to come to the conclusion that there's only one way to peace, and his name is Jesus Christ. And without him, there is no peace. There's distraction. There's temporary comforts. There's ways to cope. But there's not the peace of being made whole in relationship to God and his people. Verse 14 said that Jesus himself is our peace. Without Jesus, the best we can do is distraction and coping and escapism. With Jesus, though, nothing can take the peace away. I'll tell you in real generic terms, I have had a season in my life where I walked in ongoing, unrepentant sin. Secret sin. There's probably, I I would venture to guess, there's probably people in here who are living in sin that they're keeping a secret. Because we're ashamed of it when we do this, and we don't want to be like this. We don't want people to know. But when you live that way, and you cover your sin, and you put on a pretend face around the people that you want to be in relationship with, the fact is, it's, it's all a lie, and it's a sham, because they don't really know you. And deep down, you know that. Your relationship's built on a lie, and ultimately, you are alone. Because you don't know if they really knew you, if they would look at you the same way if they would genuinely love you like you want to be loved. And because of that secret, ongoing, unrepentant sin, you don't have a close relationship with God because he's holy and he's not going to put up with it. He loves you too much. So you stay distant from him, and ultimately you stay distant from all the people in your lives. Now, by the grace of God, he did a work in my life where he broke me down and convicted me of my sin to the degree that I felt so uncomfortable with it, I couldn't go on one more step that way. And it was a painful process, but he ripped off all the scabs, everything that covered it up until I was fully living in the light, fully confessing my sin to all that it affected. And I can tell you from personal experience, there is no peace like that. There is no peace like being made whole in your relationship with God where there is nothing that you're not bringing up in your prayers, where there is nothing that you're hiding from him. There is no peace like being made whole relationally with the people in your lives because there's nothing that you're hiding and you're fully and completely open and honest and transparent. And when you have that peace, it's amazing how the other things that are annoyances or things that could disrupt your peace just don't matter. It's okay. We can handle those things. Because I'm right with God, and I'm right with God's people. We can walk through tribulation. We can walk through trials. We don't have to chase this vapor of peace that the world says is attainable, but I actually don't think is. We don't have to chase this tranquility in this fallen world that honestly just doesn't exist. Because this world's so messed up from sin, we're always going to have trouble. We can be at peace in the meantime because we're right with God and we're right with the people in our lives. So as we draw this year's memorial service to a close, 
you have to make a decision if you want peace the way God defines it. Wholeness in relationship with God and his people. Will we acknowledge our sin which separates us from God and God's people? Will we turn away from it and toward Jesus Christ in humility and repentance and honesty and confession? Will we ask him for forgiveness and freedom from our sin based on his blood on the cross, what he did to pay for that and to make a way for us? Will we receive reconciliation with God and God's people through Jesus Christ? And will we live accordingly? in close relationship with God, in close relationship with God's people. And the best thing that could come out of this year's memorial service is for us to receive real, true peace. It's not just the absence of these things that we dislike, but it's the presence of wholeness in relationship to God and his people. And so I'll close the sermon the way Paul closes his letter in Ephesians 6, verses 23 and 24. He says, peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. May that be all of us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for making a way for us to be made right with you and to be welcomed into your people. Lord, I pray that you would just have grace on each and every one of us. That you would grant us a repentance and a faith. Overcome all the barriers that keep us locked away from you and your people in isolation. Free us from our sins, Father. Draw us near to you and let us live as citizens in your kingdom, as children in your household. In Jesus' name, amen.